We're looking at Thessalonians chapter 4. Here we have in Thessalonians a new community making amazing claims about Jesus, and they're being encouraged to keep living in a way that pleases God. My question is, well, what does that even look like to live in a way that pleases God? And as you can imagine, it gets as personal as you might think. We're going to see from sexual purity to walking in love, from working hard to not mooching off of others, covers a lot of ground. It gets personal. And one of the reasons why I wanted to cover Thessalonians uh, as a series was because of this chapter. I've returned to this chapter so many times in my own personal walk with the Lord. I'm excited for you to to hear it. We're going to look at three things in this chapter, or at least in verses 1 through 12 today. First, keep living to please God. Second, in sexual purity. And third, and brotherly love. So we're to keep living to please God in sexual purity and brotherly love. Let's look at Thessalonians chapter 4. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans or those who don't believe who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody." Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, that you would, by your Spirit, bring great clarity, bring conviction that leads us to places of repentance, bring encouragement. Help us to see your heart. Help us to receive your word for what it is, your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I want us to see here in this uh, wonderful passage is keep living to please God. This is the encouragement that Paul brings the Thessalonians. And the word live or living, it's literally to walk or be occupied with. It has this metaphorical sense of living your life. It's one of Paul's favorite words of describing the Christian life in, in his letters. He actually, he says this word 32 times. He's saying live or walk or be completely occupied with this pleasing God. With pleasing God. Keep living to please God. Now church, I want you to consider this. You bring pleasure to God. You bring pleasure to him. Your life lived for him, imperfect as it is, pleases God. 
Now, what areas of your life brings pleasure to him? Have, have you thought of that? You might say, hey, Darren, I haven't read my Bible in days, weeks, even months. Or, hey, man, I, I lusted after uh, that woman again. Or, I got so angry at my wife, I yelled at her. Or, I'm not dealing with this trial very well. How on earth could God be pleased with me? Maybe you're disappointed and discouraged. You're just moving forward somehow, trying to honor Jesus, but doubtful of your ability to do it. We have forgotten what brings pleasure to God. The Thessalonians' lifestyle, one that pleased the Lord, remember what he's saying, you're doing this, but I want you to do it more, it began the same way our new life in Jesus began. How did it begin? It began with faith, trust, a leaning on Jesus, a giving up of our uh, everything and saying, you're everything. You are my God, my Savior, my Redeemer, my Rescuer. I, I'm not sure what this looks like moving forward, but I'm, I'm looking to you with faith. Now, faith, we see in Hebrews 11, verse 6, describes it this way. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to God, comes to him, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him or carefully search him out. So as we come to God by faith, we we can't please God without faith. We start there. And what does it look like to come to him by faith? Well, we believe he exists. He's not just some figment of our imagination. He, he exists. He is present. He is active. He's not distant. He's not indifferent. He's personal. He exists. And we believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And I wonder, have we moved away from that? Have we even thought about that much? That he rewards those. He is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him, who carefully search him out. The person who draws near to God by faith pleases God. It's not the amount of faith we have. It's the object of our faith. I really hope you're encouraged this morning. I want to encourage you. The Thessalonians, they hadn't arrived. They were seeking to please the Lord. They were earnestly desiring to seek him out. They believed that he was a rewarder of those who earnestly sought him. Two weeks ago, we talked about how Paul's motive in coming to the Thessalonians was to please God. That was his motive. That's why he came to Thessalonica. It wasn't about gaining God's approval. It's about living in light of who we are in Christ. That's what it means. It's not about gaining his approval. When we set out to please God, we understand this. We're approved by God through faith in Jesus. And so it's not about gaining approval. It's about living to please him. We're not striving to be approved by God. The very idea, listen, that we can please God, I hope it fills your heart with joy. We love friends and family, and those that we love, we set out to please. Why? Because we love them. And in setting out to please them, we're not trying to earn their love. We know they love us. We want to please them. My sons, Jude, Shay, and Silas, They'll always be my sons. Sometimes they please me. Sometimes they don't please me. Either way, listen, they'll never be any less a son. But as sons, hopefully, what's growing in their hearts 
is a desire to please their father. He says, now we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. I love this kind of encouragement. When he says in verse 1, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. He's reminding them of the instructions that he, he had brought before. How to live in order to please God. In, in fact, you're living that. But now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do it more and more. What great encouragement. Turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 5, where you find some encouragement that's similar for the church in Ephesus. Look what he says in verse 8. Ephesians 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. So he's writing in a very similar way to the Ephesians. He's saying, listen, you're now children of light. Live that way and make it your ambition to find out what pleases the Lord. He's saying, keep it up. Do it more and more. It's a call to growth. The Thessalonians were being encouraged. Hey, you're doing this? Do it more and more. It's a call to maturity. It's a, it, it confronts complacency and indifference. It, com, it confronts this we have arrived mentality. And I think we need this. You know, you go so far, you've been in your faith uh, for a while, you've been reading the scriptures, maybe attending church. It's do this more and more. Find out what pleases the Lord in every area of life. It's not a burden, but a joy. And these aren't merely good suggestions that Paul is giving to the Thessalonians or recommendations. Actually, what he begins to get into when he starts to explore what it looks like in your day-to-day life to please the Lord, he's, he's talking about things that are backed by the authority of King Jesus. And, and these things that he begins to get into, they couldn't be more relevant for our lives today. So what does he get into? Well, point number two, in sexual purity. Keep living to please God. Do this more and more in sexual purity. Let's read again in verse three. It is God's will. If you ever wondered what the Lord's will is, we're, we're reading it right now. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Let's pause there. It's God's will that you should what? Be sanctified? What does that mean? To live a holy life a dedicated, consecrated, set-apart life. And, and, and not separation from anything that's fun. Don't view it as a negative. This is the process or the state of being made holy, conforming to the image of God, conforming to his character, the image of his son. We Think of it this way. When we come to faith in Jesus, we're, we're justified. There's a point in time where we are declared righteous in God's eyes through the finished work of Jesus. We embrace Jesus by faith. We recognize that his life lived for us and his death on the cross was enough to pay the price for our sins. And so we we believe that and embrace that. We recognize him as savior. We're justified. We're declared just in God's eyes. What a sweet declaration that is. And from that moment on, there's this thing called sanctification. We're being sanctified. We're being made more and more into the image of Jesus. 
It's a, it's a lifelong journey. We're all on that road for those who have embraced Christ. None of us have arrived. What this is speaking of is, is that. Continue. In this, the Holy Spirit's at work to produce these things in us. It's ongoing. It's present. It's continual. And he's saying, listen, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should walk in holiness. A, a good way to describe it is set apart. You're set apart from what you once were. You're now a child of God. You're now a child of the light, so live that way in your set-apartness. Now, if you want a word that sums up God's desire for his children, that word is holiness. God's people are together considered the very dwelling place of God, the place of God's presence. I mean, just think of that. It's hard for us to grasp. But in the Old Testament, that place of God's presence was the temple. And you know if you read in the Old Testament that there were a lot of requirements to approach God. You couldn't just approach God any old way. Why? Because he's holy. For thousands of years, God set up this system of sacrifice and of the temple to show us and to communicate that he is holy. We don't come up with any old way to approach this holy and sinless and perfect God. He has made a way. And how has he made the way? All of those sacrifices were pointing to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who was slain for our sin. And now we have this access to God. In addition to that, the New Testament talks about God's presence being among his people, that we are the dwelling place of God. Now that's mind-blowing. But what that means then is that we're called to holiness as well, to a set-apartness. And the call to be holy then is an invitation to reflect our God to do what we were created to do from the start. And it's all played out in the little mundane details of our life. So he says, avoid, make a clean cut with sexual immorality. The word is porneia. This is, could include adultery, fornication, basically having sex outside of marriage. Make a clean cut with this. The Thessalonians lived in a sexually crazed culture. And so do we. Porn is the number one online industry by far. Some old figures that I gathered suggest that there are a thousand new porn sites created every day. It's hard to grasp. Sex has become a product to be bought and sold, reducing people as products or objects for consumption. Porn ingrains a consumer mentality into culture. It distorts the goal of sex, where sex becomes about self-pleasure rather than intimacy. You might say, hey, Darren, aren't you supposed to enjoy sex as a pleasurable physical act? Yes, of course you are. But it's much more than that. God designed sex with awesome power and purpose. It's a gift from God that he created for us to enjoy. I mean, he came up with it. It's his invention, which I think is pretty cool. Yet God never intended sex to, to bring complete satisfaction. And there's always the danger of very good things becoming the ultimate thing. And that's what we've seen happen in our culture. We talked about lowercase gods or idols a couple weeks ago. Sex is definitely a lowercase god of our culture. And Paul is riding from Corinth to Thessalonica, another city that's just drenched in uh, uh, sexuality and sex, and just both cities famous for their immorality. We're talking pre- and extramarital sex, not only tolerated, but encouraged Uh, Big time. We're talking mistresses and concubines, after-dinner parties involving orgies and expressions of worship involving temple prostitutes. 
And Paul doesn't say to them, hey man, head for the hills. Just get out of town. Run for your life. Get out of Thessalonica. It's too sexually crazed. Nope, he doesn't say that. You know, if we're not set apart, if we're not holy and distinct, then we have nothing to say. But if we head for the hills, if we don't enter the culture around us, we have no one to say anything to. We're called to be the set-apart people of God here in our culture. And he says to them, learn, know how to control your own body, which means vessel, in a way that's holy and honorable. Learn how to do this. He's, he's just pushing back against the confusion that they may have been experiencing or accommodation or compromise that some of them would have been involved in. You know, the temptation for us is to either withdraw or retreat just isolating, separating ourselves completely, or to blend in and compromise, where we, 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 we get complacent. That could be a, a temptation for any of us. But he's saying, don't do that. Just learn how to control your own body. Well, that's easy for you to say, Paul. How am I supposed to do that? And he's getting to that. And he says, verse 5, not in passionate lust like the pagans or like those who don't know God. He says, who do not know God. In other words, he's saying, live as people who know God. You know God. You know his character. You're getting to know it. You're seeing that he is first and foremost holy. And he's, he's, he's provided a way for you to boldly approach him. And you, you haven't approached him just any old way, but in a particular way through his son Jesus. And now he cleanses you of your sin. And he actually accepts you because of the righteousness of Jesus, the sinless perfection of Jesus, which is actually uh, amazing. We stand in Christ's perfection. So Darren Kinney is not accepted because I'm a pastor or because I've been, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, I've been good this week, so now God accepts me. No, I'm accepted because of the finished work of Jesus. He's my righteousness. But now because of that, now I'm, I'm welcomed in to reflect God's character. And he's at work in my heart, rooting out all these things, lust and anger, resentment and bitterness fits of rage, all these things that whatever we're struggling with, these, these sin issues. And here Paul is saying, learn to control your own, your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Why? Because you belong to God. You know him. He says, and in this matter, no one should wrong or exploit or take advantage of brother or sister. He's saying, if you are sinning sexually with someone, you're actually taking advantage of them. You're exploiting them. You need to treat them, he says, as those who are made in God's image. Now, this might not even be a category for you. You might think, man, what, what do you mean I'm taking advantage of this brother or sister by, by being sexually involved with them? Well, let me just describe it this way, if, if I could for a minute. For single men, for those of you who are dating right now, right now, you are dating someone's wife. She might be yours. She, prob- she probably isn't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to get you discouraged. But, um, <laughs> but your wife is out there somewhere. Now, my question is, how do you want the guy with her to treat her right now? You're like, oh, what? Step off, right? <laughs> with holiness. Maybe hold her hand. I'm not going to give you a list of things you can and can't do in your dating relationship. I'm going to let God do that. But what I want to do is help you to see what Paul is saying, that we actually 
uh, wrong or exploit or take advantage of a brother or sister when we sin against them sexually. And there's brokenness associated with it. There's shame. You may be experiencing that right now. There's hurt and pain and confusion. And I'm sorry for that. You might be just exhausted and tired of going from one relationship to the next. You're like, come on. It doesn't satisfy. We were made for more. And so this is an expression of love. God is showing us his plan for sex. And he says in verse 8, if you reject this instruction, you're not rejecting man, you're rejecting God, who, by the way, gives you his Holy Spirit. I'll sit with couples wanting premarital counseling and if I, or just couples in general and if I, if, I, if I find out they're sleeping together or living together and, uh, you know, oh, well, you know, I, I just, listen, just open up to Thessalonians 4, slide it over. Will you read that? You know, because it's not just what Darren thinks. Who cares what Darren thinks? What does God think? What is God's call on your life? Now, I know I'm getting personal, but guess what? Faith in Christ is personal. I know it, it's difficult to hear some of this. I, I didn't come up with this. Are we followers of Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it impact every area of our life? And so Paul's saying, you're not rejecting man when you reject this instruction. You're rejecting God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. This is God's life-changing presence, God's presence in our life. So don't picture this mean stranger taking candy from a kid when you hear God give these kind of instructions. I want you to picture a loving father warning his child about the great dangers ahead if they continue on the road that they're on. The Thessalonians were living to please the Lord, but that doesn't mean they never struggled with intense uh, desires or uh, the, the, the allure of their culture. I mean, come on. They were living in a sexually crazed culture. It doesn't mean that they never ignored the instructions that they received. I mean, think about it. The struggle is real. It was real for them, and it's real for us. I want to describe a situation briefly because Paul was writing from Corinth, and in uh, Corinth, uh, there was a, a norm, a cultural norm, where a sign of entering adulthood or maturity was sexual intercourse with a high-class call girl. So young men who became mature would have dinner, and then usually they'd bring in the, the, the high-class call girl, and there you go. These men justified doing it by citing a culturally endorsed saying. This is all found in Corinthians 6. They would say this, everything is right, or everything uh, is permissible for me. This was customary, so why shouldn't I do this? This is accepted behavior in our culture, so why not? Everyone else is doing it, why can't I? We live in a culture that's largely given over to sex as well. It's all around us. Do what you feel. Do what you think is right. How dare you tell me what to do with my body? Paul draws the Corinthians' attention to an incredible event that changed everything. And I want to read about it. In Corinthians chapter 6, he draws their attention. This is his his way of motivating them to, to a life of sexual purity. He says in verse 9, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, 
nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Oh my. But look at verse 11. Please don't tune out. And that is what some of you were, he says. That's what you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And he goes on to say, I have a right to do anything. He's quoting what the cultural saying would be. You say, but, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will say, don't be mastered by anything. He goes on to say, look at verse 18, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. He speaks of the pain and the hurt associated with it. Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. What's the motivation? Three things took place. You were washed, sanctified, justified. This great cleansing from the filth of sin, this great transformation of their lives, this great freeing that has taken place. And why does Paul start here? Because everything a follower of Jesus is, does and becomes is tied to the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he calls us to. This isn't just moralism, like don't have sex. There's something behind it. There's a reason for it. And this is where faith comes to play. Do we believe that God has our best interests at heart when he he gives instruction like this? Do we believe that God's plan is better and richer and more beautiful when sex is practiced within the context of marriage? Might sound old-fashioned, but it comes from the heart of God. Finally, we see this call to brotherly love. And essentially, he's saying, listen, y'all are loving each other. You're doing a good job. You're making an impact on the area around you. You've been taught by God to do this. The spirit, the life-changing presence of God has produced this love in you. But do this more and more. In other words, he's saying, you're never going to arrive. No one is going to be able to say, all right, enough love. Enough loving one another. Now, here's the deal. Some in Thessalonica were mooching off others, taking advantage of other people's generosity. They had stopped working probably due to the fact that they were waiting for Jesus to return, which we'll talk about not next week, because next week's Easter, but the week after. We're going to talk about what they were actually um, waiting for and what their confusion was. They, they, but they had stopped, some had stopped working, and they were actually living off and taking advantage of people's generosity, exploiting the generosity of other Christians. And Paul says, enough of that. Work hard with your hands. Outsiders are looking at this new community that are making, is making amazing claims about Jesus and they're interested to see what effect it has on your behavior. Live in a manner that is worthy of this gospel you've received. Continue to please the Lord in sexuality, in sexual purity, but also in brotherly love. Stop mooching off one another. Stop just being lazy. Continue to work hard. Don't exploit or take advantage of one another. That's not love. So there's this encouragement and a call to action. 
all at the same time. Now, if we could just for a moment feel what God feels when he delights in his children. As we close, as we think about the instruction we've just heard today, if we could just for a moment feel, I mean for a moment, feel what God feels when he delights in his children. Our, heart, our hearts would just leap. So the instruction that we have received, let's receive it from a loving father who truly has our best interests at heart, who calls us to some hard things, who calls us to say no to sexual immorality, but for a good reason, because he loves us, who calls us to live in a particular way that we might say, man, I, I'd, rather, I'd rather live that other way. So I'm trying to figure out what my motive should be. Do you see Jesus in all his beauty and glory? Do you see him for the treasure he is? Do you believe that God's character is what's revealed in scripture? That he truly loves you? That he, the one who came up with sex, the one who invented all of this, knows how to bring clear instruction about it? If we could just for a moment feel what God feels when he delights in his children, do our hearts leap at the thought of living to please him? Is his life-changing presence at work in your heart? It's his life-changing presence, his Holy Spirit, that makes following these instructions possible. But guess what? He's he's given his life-giving presence. He's given his very presence, his Holy Spirit to us. Now, you might be sitting here filled with shame. You might have uh, regrets. You might be experiencing some fear. I want to be sensitive to that. At the same time, some new desires might be rising up in your heart a desire to please the Lord in these areas described. Maybe you're growing in your vision for what it looks like to follow Jesus. I'm excited. I'm thankful for that. We belong to God. Paul says we make it our goal to please him. I want to be fully occupied. I want to be shaped by a desire to please the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. We covered a lot of ground. We discussed some hard things. I pray that, Lord, as we leave, we'd be encouraged. We'd be challenged, but that we would be encouraged that your life-giving presence accompanies us. You're with us. Help us to be occupied. Help us to be just completely captivated with this desire to please you. Not to gain acceptance, but because we've been accepted in Christ, we now can live our lives to please you. We pray that you would impact every area of our life for how we treat one another within our community, to how we work with our hands, and to how, Lord, we're living sexually. Lord, every area of our life belongs to you. We belong to you as we submit our lives to Christ. So, Lord, do that work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.